Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from just outside of New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Um, hey, Andrew. Huh. Yeah. One of those days where you've watched a team that you despise win a trophy, but you're in the company of friends who support that team. So on, you're on your best behavior. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to hear more about this. Of course we are, we are gathered here this evening. It's been an, it feels like an unusually eventful weekend in a sport that is often eventful. <laughs> um, a trophy handed out to Manchester United for the first time since 2017. MLS is back. But not just like the games itself, but also initial reviews of of this of this brave new world that we're in with Apple and paywalls and, and harsh such. criticism for people who who are producing a show for the first time. So yeah, all of those things. Um, Tottenham Chelsea was earlier today, um, eventful for, for really for both teams. I want to talk a little bit about about that one. Um, I have my goal of the season wrapped up. Wrapped from from which up. league? From the Premier League. Oh, the okay. Premier League, as we would say, where I come from. Oh, interesting. All right. Um, so lots to get to here on on a late on a Sunday evening. JJ, That's don't right. usually do this on on Sundays. No, we don't. And what a Sunday it was for me, Andrew. I was invited along to watch uh, Manchester United play Newcastle United in the Carabao Cup final by my friend Lauren, who is a Manchester United supporter. So I, I attended in good faith. I behaved myself um, while all the while wanting to eat my own face. Where did you go to watch it? We went to Black Horse, which is... So there is no real Manchester United bar in the city anymore. Not really. I mean... Really? Like That's one singular... almost impossible for me to believe. No, there's no one singular place. So oh, well, ga- they probably have a lot of them. They're such a sprawling, huge club with so many fans there's probably tons of manchester united bars around the city i was at that, one last last summer i went to one i forget what it was called smithfield. Uh, what you went to smithfield was it maybe yeah, yeah but that's i mean that's the home to how many teams okay. i mean there was a lot of i suppose pre-pandemic there was a lot of bars that had one club um and and if you didn't have one, uh, a place to go you go to legends or Smithfield. But or like uh, we Nevada ended up in the Smiths. Black Horse, which is the home to everyone in Brooklyn. And um, and look, when you're with nice people, you're you're happy for them. Um, but at the same time, you're like, I remember last year, I was watching Liverpool beat Chelsea on penalties. I remember joy. <laughs> uh, so you weren't like a dark cloud on what was otherwise a... a- brilliant day for them well i can't comment on what lauren or her boyfriend ross thought of me but i would imagine no i don't because i know how i would be like you'd never go out for arsenal you wouldn't that would never happen no or like i would never go on like a huge occasion for the cowboys like i would never go with to a dallas bar with my cowboy friend like i would just say like no you got the wrong guy like i I got no interest (laughs) in being there like no so i'm surprised i'm surprised that you were like yeah let's do it well she asked me early doors like like mm, 10 days ago and i was like yeah okay and then i thought oh too weird just way too weird but then i thought 
I always put myself forward as a, as, as a football person first before I support anyone and that I enjoy the game. So I thought, why not? Okay. And, and, and I also thought just from a anthropological footballing anthropology standpoint, this would be kind of interesting. Anthropolo- like you're, the, I picture you, uh, like t- taking notes. Like you're, uh, <laughs> like who was it, Richard Attenborough or uh, David? Yeah, Attenborough? Richard. R- yeah, and in, in like a white or a camel kind of. Uh, the Manchester United fan is a peculiar fan. Look how she gets annoyed at what is a basic free kick for Newcastle, suggesting it may be a conspiracy by the referees against her club. No, um, but but it, it was amazing. Like some of the stuff that 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 she did like the shouting at referees for no good reason is is the same stuff i do of course it's it's way more annoying when you're on the end of it or you're observing it uh yeah and especially when it's a team that you for a team that you abhor i'm sure that that's part of it i I would imagine that this was kind of a nightmare occasion for you because obviously you have historical disdain for manchester united uh, and I'd say recent disdain for Newcastle United. Yeah. So, but whatever Manchester United are currently owned by American feckless American billionaires who 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 take money out of the club, don't look after it properly, but it's still the richest footballing entity in the world. Whatever disdain I have for that model, the owned by Mohammed bin Salman model is far more reprehensible. Mm-hmm. When you look at his body count over the past 18 months, as opposed to the body count of the Glazers, then you kind of, things come together a little bit. And There are um, degrees of bad. There are degrees of bad. Like, what, what, you say, what do we say on this podcast? A slap on the face isn't as bad as a broken jaw. Right. And um, they, Newcastle United are in the broken jaw realm of this, uh, of this ledger. So, no, I... Um, like, did I want Manchester United win? No, not really. But if, if it's going to be Man United or Newcastle, there's there's only one way I'm going. Right now, at least, before they're bought out by the Qataris. Wow, so you were actually pleased today. Oh, pleased see United too, win. Pleased is too strong. Happy for my friends, Andrew. Okay. Happy for my friends. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, 2-0, Manchester United. They they raise a trophy. They add it to their, their trophy cabinet for the first time since 2017. Six years have gone by since uh, the Europa League was their last one. Was it not? I believe. Under under Jose Mourinho. Yeah. Respect. Um, respect. Yep. Uh, I mean, we can talk about the game. I would say there are, like, just as interesting as the game itself are the bigger issues, I think, that, that are associated with this and the feeling of what this means for this club. Um in terms of the game, good performance from United. I thought Newcastle were just average. I wouldn't say that yep. they were bad necessarily. They did, did you ever feel like they were going to really no. score? No. And you maybe I mean there was one fight. moment they had one move. Uh, really, their first it was not until like the thirty first minute. I think um, it was kind of their like their first real attack of significance. Um, boy, sometimes Alan Saint Maximan does. You you kind of won't hear his name for a little bit, and then he'll get the ball and do something where you're just like, Good lord. What a player. Uh, got the ball in like tight space kind of near the end line. Um, and just like like a quick crossover. Um, and David De, David De Gea was forced into, from albeit a, a very difficult angle that Great was save. always going to be hard to score from. But De Gea kind of sticks out an arm and really a strong save uh, to, keep, to keep it at that point nil-nil. And then just after that, the floodgates opened. And then they immediately closed. They were open for a solid six and a half minutes or so. Um, 
where United in the 33rd and then in the 39th took advantage and uh, got the two goals, and that was all they needed. And like you said, it, it didn't feel like you know Newcastle had some moments in the second half, a couple set pieces that were maybe a little bit threatening, uh, but nothing really that that worried United too much. And this was this was a great day for uh, for Manchester United. It definitely was. Uh, I think the Casemiro header was brilliant from the free kick. I thought the the delivery was brilliant. Um, people, some people are jumping on Carius for the deflected Rashford goal. I'll, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll I'm give gonna him give a bit a, of a pass. You know that give, deflection is really tough to judge in in that his, tight a, of a space. And his weight, his weight is shifting to the right. He gets a hand up. Honestly, I, I think it's too easy to just jump on him. He was solid. Otherwise, he made it's, one brilliant save. It's one of those. Th- yeah, he did. Um, saves like that. It's one of those things where I sometimes try to think to myself: if I'm going to judge the keeper, okay, let's say he makes that save. We're then calling it what? what? One of the great saves of the season? Like to to save a deflected shot in close range like that, we would say, your... wow, that's brilliant stuff. So if if the save that, like if it would have been one of the best saves we've seen all season, can you be mad at him for not making it? Honestly, I, I, I'm with you on that. I think it was, it was very hard for him to, especially with basically gravity working against him, him going the other way. Um, Initially, it looked like it went straight through his hands, but it, it wasn't quite like that. I thought he was, I thought he was fairly solid for a guy who has had played hardly any football in the last two years. I think that was um, a solid enough outing for him, albeit he conceded two goals. Yeah, I mean, look, it was kind of like the fun storyline coming in, um, and so I understand why there was maybe a little bit more of a microscope on everything that he did. But in the end, I don't necessarily believe this game was won or lost because of anything no, that he did. I know. And, and if there was one thing for me about Newcastle, was in the first half, getting down the right side with Trippier. I was like, do more of that. Remember the ball that they centered and there was like no one in the middle, uh-huh. like straight across the goal? I was like, do more of that. But they really weren't able to capitalize. I thought United, generally speaking, were far better. Just far better. And you felt when United went forward, there was a real menace that you didn't have with Newcastle. And the thing about Newcastle is when Isaac came on, they didn't look any better. They didn't look any more dangerous. If you're going to make a change, it has to make you better. And it didn't make them better. Uh, no, although I wouldn't necessarily say that that's uh, I don't see that as criticism of the manager for making the wrong sub. Like, I think that they brought on the right guy uh, to try to change things. Well, um, I mean, he's only the right guy if he actually changes something. And uh, no, but like, I if mean, you look, if you need a goal and you look to your bench and he's there, like, yeah, you spent a lot of money on him. He's he's supposed to be a a, a good attacker. So I f- I feel like there's three categories of cup final, Andrew. One, there's the the stilted nil nil, maybe one nil goes just poor game, and it's a fine fine margin that separates it. Mm-hmm. The other one is a fairly comprehensive one which this category of game is okay and then the other one is an absolute cracker which is so rare like like france argentina yeah so i i feel like this one falls into that middle category of just yeah solid fine game fine not necessarily boring not necessarily thrilling but if you're um, a man united fan you probably won't replay this one again you'll just watch the the highlights of the goals uh yeah i would say that's probably true however i do think the significance of this for united is is massive Oh, um, I agree. Yeah, this this feels 
this feels almost like a validation of a lot of thoughts that I think United fans have been feeling coming into this match. Um, whether they're overreactions or not, whether they're fair or not, I don't know. But but for a cup final, everything is always going to be magnified. Um, it feels like perhaps, maybe most importantly, uh, a validation of the manager, you know, the the selection of this manager, um, the ideas that he's put into place, the fact that they that they right away have a trophy to attach to this season and this new regime. I just think that I don't think you can discount how important that is in terms no. of him. Yeah, you know, and I would say that he already had buy-in from this team. I think that you know whatever message is being relayed to this team, it seems like the, that there's buy-in in that room. I think the way that he handled Cristiano Ronaldo in the beginning of the season probably got a lot of guys in that room on board very quickly. Um, you know, so I, I think that was well played. But the fact that he can now point to this to immediate hardware that goes into that trophy cabinet. Uh, as a validation of his ideas of the players that he's brought in, Casemiro scoring a goal in this game, you know, the defending Lissandra Martinez, um, you know, it just seems like, you know, the rejuvenation of Rashford, who it was an own goal, kind of, a, I, I kind of thought that could have been Rashford's goal, but whatever, he made it happen. Um, you know, it just feels like every button that this manager is pushing is working. And so to be able to then slap a trophy alongside that, it's just this immediate, yes, we have the right guy moving forward for whatever you know, Ragnicks and Solshires and all that, Mourinho's that they've battled through, you know, since since Ferguson. They don't have to the, the feeling coming out of this today has to be, oh, we don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, the players may change, things like that. There's gonna there'll be bad days, I'm sure, that they're gonna have to fight through it. But but in the end, like this is the guy you can be comfortable moving forward with. A thousand percent. He did something I loved. Uh one of our listeners uh DM'd us it right before the game. You know, they put down this little white chain fence on the field and it's got no walking on the playing surface mm-hmm. and he just steps out. He could have gone around it. Like there, there was, it, it doesn't go the full length of the sideline. He could have walked around it. He doesn't. He's, you know, lifts his legs over it, goes onto the field while the sprinklers, sprinklers are on and, and assesses the surface. That's so oh, that's, mad. that is so up your alley. Oh God. I, I, I got all the feelings right there. I, I, I felt a kinship with him. I, Again, talking with my Man United friends, one of the things they love about him is that kind of disciplined daddy as well. Uh-huh. Like he has come in and it's not that he's just changed things, but he's also um, raised standards and he's not afraid to hit. Now, I know what you feel about post-match uh, press conferences. You feel as if they are quite performative. Managers are going to say certain things, but he he looks as if he's, he really means what he's saying about standards, about winning. And there's there's the whiff of, I'm not saying he's going to be Fergie because I don't think there will be another Fergie. But in terms of like calling things as they are and 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 and, and not accepting anything less but the highest, he does have that vibe about him, you know. And I feel like this, this trophy will be in the back pocket and he won't think about it. After tonight, he won't think about it. It's on to the next. And you look, they're in the they're at the business end of the Europa League. They've vanquished the the clearest threat to them in Barcelona. It's true. I mean, there probably won't be. It's not to say that they're a lock to go on and win the Europa League. They're not. They're probably not going to face a tougher team than what they just than who they just beat. No, and like it's opened up in that. You look at the way the Premier League is going as well. There's there is an opportunity to do something there. Um, Albeit Arsenal not wavering at the weekend, maybe mitigates against that. But whatever. He's got this club in in 
an unbelievable position and a position that I don't think anybody really felt they would be after they shipped two at home to Brighton and four away to Brentford at the start of the season. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think the other thing, too, and that I, I really believe a, people within a club can feel, um, you know, we, we can talk, we can say whatever we want about the separation between those within the walls of, of these clubs themselves and the outside support. Um, but I do think that, like, whatever the noise is going on outside of those rooms, I do think that that stuff is heard, whether it's on social media, whether it's just from booze in the stands, things like that. You know, there is a feeling that I think people within a club can get about the mood around a team. And, you know, if you look at United and you look at the last several years of them, you've always had, like, we, we've seen it on this podcast. When we mentioned Ronaldo, we will get certain United fans who would, defend him to the death we got some who were more on your side that it's just it was the wrong guy Solskjaer there were United fans who would just who were always going to revere him for the things that he did for that club the media is too harsh on him and there were always United fans who were just saying he's not big enough for this club he's just not what I'm saying is around the last several years of Manchester United even Mourinho wherever he goes he's he's a figure like that who polarizes fans you never had the full weight of that entire fan base behind what was going on with the club and I think that you know I saw it at Tottenham when Mourinho was there that like that toxicity that kind of poisonous like it it just doesn't always feel like things are in balance like things are in harmony within a club and now I feel like all of that stuff that would polarize a fan base that would kind of keep some people from feeling like they're fully on board with what's going on. I feel like that's all gone. And it just feels like if you're a United fan right now, it feels like that whole fan base, the everything around the club within the club, it feels like they're all kind of pushing in the same direction that everybody is just on board with where this is headed. This, I don't know, maybe it's, it's being caught up in the moment of them winning a trophy today or whatever, but it just, it feels like this is symbolic of being the beginning of, of another proud era for United, which is, I mean, I don't think that is caught up in the moment. We've pretty much said that at various points throughout the last couple months about where they're at. And I think we've also said over the last decade, well, we haven't been going a decade, but we've been going seven, eight years and we have, we've been tracking the downward trajectory of Manchester United. But we always said because of the nature of their ability to sign players and their ability to go get good football people in and good managers in that there are only a few signings and only a manager away from being good again. And that absolutely speaks to what's happening there. Um, I also think like he's made tough decisions. It wasn't lost to me. The England captain came on as a sub just literally to be brought on. Uh-huh. And went up and jointly held aloft the trophy. That wasn't easy. But Ten Hag did it. And he left him out the team. Sure. Maguire. Uh, like we talked about Ronaldo. I don't think. I think that was the right decision. But I could understand why it would be looked upon as a difficult one. Just for the, the force that that guy is within the sport. And within a certain segment of that fan base. Um, yeah. Absolutely. He's. He doesn't shy away from any of those things. Even if you look at JJ, some of the signings that they made, um, you know, what was like some of the criticisms that we heard about all of these guys who came from the Dutch Eredivisie that were coming in? Oh, he's just bringing in what's familiar. Yeah. You know, that was kind of like the the trope that was being paraded around around some of those moves. Well, they've worked like sometimes familiarity with players. is Like maybe that's not such a bad thing that, you know, he, he knows that he understands how Lissandra Martinez can be used. Um, yeah, so like, I don't know, it just feels, it just feels like everything that's, that's every button that's being pushed at that club right now is, it, it feels like it's, it's the right one. And the, the great 
uh, hope for United fans is you look at this and they're not nearly the finished article. I don't think they're they're a Ten Hag team yet at all. <laughs> I don't think they're there at all. And uh, and yet um, they have a trophy. They have hardware, like you said, in the first few months of his of his tenure. It's it was a good day for Manchester United fans, and I think this season could potentially be even better. Well, the finished article thing that you bring up there is interesting to me, uh, and you're probably right, mainly because like in this in these last several years of United, for whatever reason, it felt like I don't know in terms of like the players that they could attract to go there. You know, there's been multiple times where we've talked about who some of the big targets are on on the transfer market, and United will be in on that guy inevitably because they're United. But that guy, whoever it might be, won't go there. And we always say, you know, it's a two way street. Like it's not just United wanting a player; that player has to want to go there too. And right. United just have not been that club over the last several years. It has not been cool to want to go play at Manchester United. They've kind of been at certain points a laughing stock. They just haven't been that brand that we kind of know that they can be um, that will change quickly. <laughs> that will change very quickly. If if you scenes like today of watching them hold up trophies and just kind of reminding yourself, Oh yeah, that's right. Like this is, this is probably when it's all said and done, maybe the brand in global domestic in global club football, um, you know, guys will very quickly like that whole idea of not wanting to go there because there's other teams that are maybe cooler to go to. The team of the moment is just not united. That will change. That will change really fast. And you'll see top targets wanting to go there again. And then whatever that finished article is that you're talking about, they they can become that very quickly. Totally agree. I think the finished article won't have 38 percent possession in the final uh, and it won't have only 282 completed passes. I, I think I think they'll be even more dominant than that. But you're right. They're going to... I mean, they're already... They've always been a draw in terms of wages. They've always been a draw in terms of just being Manchester United. And I, I think that's only going to be elevated now. Um, I suppose the other angle to this is Newcastle United, Andrew. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Even though they lost this game, look, obviously a win would have been hugely important for them just just to finally get that trophy that they've craved for such a long time now. Um, And again, sort of like in the same way that we're talking about this trophy being validation of the start of an era for Manchester United, the same could be said for Newcastle. Um, But I don't know, to kind of watch the scenes at the end of that game with the Newcastle end with every fan there, knowing that they were going down in defeat, waving flags, Mm. cheering, proud of their team. Like, I guess it didn't really shake my feeling of the direction in which they're headed. And it seems like the fans all know, yeah, we lo- we may have lost today, but we know where this is going and, and we feel good about our team today. Yeah, um, we've talked before about the, the Dutch fable, about the dam that's about to burst and there's a little Dutch boy puts his finger in mm-hmm. and he saves the whole town because it stops the dam from bursting. I, I feel like Eric Ten Hag is the little Dutch boy today putting his finger in the dam. The weight of money of Newcastle United and Saudi Arabia. Andrew, let's be honest. You can only keep that back for a certain time, right? Eventually, it will burst forth and this team will be winning trophies at a pelt that will be absolutely alien to all their supporters. You know it and I know it. Um, yeah, probably. Although, yeah, I mean, my gut is to agree with you. Uh, the only things that I'm curious about are 
one of one of the things we're talking about right now. Again, like we said, it, it has to work both ways. Players have to want to go there too, and they so, will for the wages. They will for the wages, and well, they'll, be, they'll be. I think you're right, but but it also feels like again, if United, Manchester United are reemerging, so Newcastle, if the wages are comparable between those two, and who knows, maybe Newcastle will be able to blow everyone out of the water. Well, well time will tell. We'll have to wait and see if that's true. But if United's brand is reemerging, that will be a draw. Manchester City. Don't feel like they're going anywhere. Look at what Chelsea are doing. I mean, maybe they're going to have to have some come down after spending all this money over the last two windows. But clearly, new ownership, it has not changed their resolve in terms of how they're going to be spending. If we're talking about re-emerging brands in the Premier League, Arsenal are all of a sudden going to be a very cool club for players to want to go to. So oh. Newcastle, like Newcastle tries they might. It's not It's not just going to be a walk in the park to go out and attract the top talent. I like. I, I'm firmly of the opinion that Arsenal need to win a, a Premier League right now to... to to steal them for many years without one ahead. I, I, I just see, I just see it being a, a city, Saudi Arabia takeover of the top of the league. And I think Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea may have to get aligned to that new reality. No, I, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, can there be innovative managers, innovative coaches, innovative sporting directors who can stave off, the big, big money of the clubs. Yeah, we've seen it. We've seen it in Liverpool's battle against uh, City Football Group. We've seen the way if you are brighter and cleverer and got a really good manager, you can bridge the gap with the money. But eventually the money wins. And I'm afraid that's where we're heading right now. Although that is not the note that I wanted to talk on tonight. I wanted to be more celebratory for our United friends. Um, I do want to say one thing while we're talking about Newcastle. And I guess I'll continue with this theme that you're talking about of, of what is it? The little boy with his finger in the dam. Yeah. The the Dutch boy, he's got his finger in the dam and he's saving us all from the, from the waters behind. So let's look at new, let's talk about Newcastle for a sec. Um, is, is Eddie Howe that boy and is the <laughs> dam cracking? Because let's, let's, you know, for whatever positivity there is around their season and them reaching a cup final, even in, even in defeat, that's still a good achievement for Newcastle. Uh, and it's still, like I said, signifies the beginning of, of what is probably going to be a special era for them. But like in the here and now, um, let's go back. Let, let's start from January 21st, uh, nil, nil to Crystal Palace. Then you get right. into their two legs against Southampton, which Newcastle did win both of those. Again, it's against the team who's bottom of the Premier League, but more power to them. They win those. Uh, but then back to the Premier League, 1-1 against relegation candidates West Ham. 1-1 against a very average relegation candidate, bad team in Bournemouth. A 2-0 defeat to a reeling Liverpool. A semi-competitive, sort of non-competitive 2-0 defeat in a cup final to Manchester United. JJ, that's that's a run of a lot of really kind of average to bad results uh, in, in this space of time. And, you know, we know that there's talent on this Newcastle team and we know that there's more coming for another day, um, but there's not a lot of depth there. They've gone pretty hard so far this season. Maybe it's, maybe that's coming to an end and maybe we're seeing it over these last couple of weeks that they're, they're starting to run out of some steam. Right, and and do we do we pivot from what a job Eddie Howe is doing into oh, it's an okay job Eddie Howe is doing? Um, well, I don't know. I'm not. I wouldn't say that. I think I look. I've been. I know you and I have disagreed on this throughout the course of the season so far. But I, even though they've spent a lot of money on certain players, like I've said, if you go man for man with this Newcastle team against a lot of the teams around them, they're not as good as them. 
So I think Eddie Howe has overachieved so far this season. And maybe there is some sort of kind of regression to the mean mm. that was always going to be inevitable. And I think maybe, I think you're seeing some of that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I looked at that team today. Guimarish in midfield, Joe Linton, uh, Almiron, uh, just generally that side. Alan St. Maximin. Maybe they should be getting more out of that side. Then, I mean, they're fifth right now in the Premier League with two matches at hand, I believe, on fourth place Tottenham, four points back of them. So if, again, they have to win those games. Do you know what, Andrew? Actually, I take all that back. Okay. A stunning reversal. They've got to a final. They are, like you said, in in touch of, of, of the Champions League spots. And it is about to become March. So maybe we just wait and see. Maybe we can't tell right now. what, Like if they come out of this slump and start winning games, then we can say, all right, that's a good job that's being done. They've corrected. They're on their way. Uh, maybe it's too early to tell. Now, I will say, having said all that, I don't believe they're going to finish top four. You don't? I don't believe so. You think the thundering march of the boys from North London is going to scare them off? I kind of do. Okay. I kind of do. Well, um, we shall see. Yeah, we shall. Uh, we certainly shall. But I just look at this Newcastle form recently, and I just, I don't know. I don't i don't know that this is a temporary dip. I think that, like I said, I just don't, I don't know how great this team is. Like, I just don't know. They're ready to be good, but are they ready to be top four good? Like, I just don't know that they're, to me, that they're quite there yet. And the fact that they've been there for so much of the season, I think, is a testament to this manager and, and what he's gotten out of, out of some of these players. Um, just a final couple things to put a bow on this one today. Um, again, props to the Newcastle support. Like I said, they were raucous in the stadium, even at the end when they knew they were going to lose. JJ, there were reports that, what were some of the numbers? That there were uh, in upwards of like 100,000 Newcastle supporters who came to London that weren't even going to be able to make it into the stadium. They just were there. Ah, they're amazing. Absolutely amazing. They're one of those fan bases where we always say, if you were to organize a game tomorrow morning somewhere, what clubs would just at the drop of a hat fill a stadium? And I think they're in that that category. And this is not new. Like, I remember, I mean, we spoke about it years ago when they were relegated. The scenes on the final day of just like, you would expect a fan base like that. Like, Newcastle's just one of those teams that I don't know when they got relegated, that was one of those things where I was like, I needed to, I held them in a a certain regard where like, I had to see that happen to believe that it could like, I just didn't, to me, I just didn't see Newcastle as a club that gets relegated. Um, And so I'm sure their fans felt that way too, but then it, you know, so I, I wouldn't have blamed those people if they were, if they were devastated on that day. And by the way, I'm sure they were, but like the scenes in St. James park, you wouldn't have known it. Like it was, they were singing for their team. Like there was a clear message of support that like wherever, you know, whatever division you're playing in, we'll be here. Don't worry. We'll be there for you. Yeah. Um, And so I just think that, you know, now like it's changed in terms of the stature of the club and the ownership of the club and all that, but that support, you know, that, that ethos is, is still embedded within the DNA of this. So I think that was on full display. No, Uh, absolutely. so, So props to them for that. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention too, around this one, you mentioned Harry Maguire before. Um, so he uh, I, he was the one, obviously he's their captain. He was the one who accepted the trophy. I don't know if you saw, but there was a little clip that was going, I guess, a little bit viral of him sort of ghosting the Glazers. 
Oh no, I didn't see that. Yeah. I guess in like the walk up to receive the trophy, um, he kind of he walked right by them. I saw a ton a hand of, or anything like that. I saw a ton of footage of Fergie, uh, and Malcolm Glazer in the in the tunnel, kind of maybe like four or five yards apart, kind of in an occupying an awkward space, which will always be the case for them. Yeah, um, because. You know, Alex Ferguson, a horse and horse semen brought us to the Glazers. That you love ne- saying that. That's you'll bring that be- up at any at any chance you get. It can never be forgotten. And if and if the Qataris take over, um, horse semen will be will be a key starting point for that. Um, it it just will. But there is there is there's going to be this awkward kind of situ- situation now where the club are definitely for sale. Um and the Glazers are still hovering around, and I suppose they have to be at a cup final. Yeah, got to be there. Um, it's a, uh, it's weird. And and of all the things about Manchester United, I would hate that a takeover by a royal Middle Eastern royal family, a despotic royal family, would be the reason uh, that it takes the shine off all the hard work of Eric Ten Hag. Because let's be truthful, this isn't like Hull. Or Chesterfield being bought by, you know, somebody like a royal family. This is Manchester United. They don't need this. And um, and it would be a shame for all his good work to be kind of shaded uh, by by a new ownership. Um, Well, start wrapping your mind around that because. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see, see, Andrew. Uh, and then one other thing we should mention, too, the uh, the United goal scorer, they scored two today, but only one was credited to a United player. It was Casemiro, like you said, on, on that header. JJ, I think the stat I saw earlier today, he has played uh, in, in 14 club finals and won 13 of them. Oh, God. And I've watched I mean, him win. I've watched him win two live. Oh, it's that's he's, a winning player. He is a winning player. And um, and he has bedded in into United so easily and seamlessly. It's uh it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So any final any final uh thoughts of congratulations to them, JJ? Uh, come here. I've been I've been Johnny Mag- Magnanimous all day today. What else do you want me to say? Well done to Manchester United, and I hope it's not the last trophy you win before you wow. are taken over by an awful regime. I would like Manchester United to remain Manchester United, if possible. Hmm. That was that was actually very uh, very kind. It was kind. I'm a kind guy. You can be, yeah. What do you mean I can be? I'm gen- I generally am. I can be. You a can bit be or- ruthless and biting, but you I- also have a a tenderness to you. I do, I do. There's a lot of pain under the surface, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, so it is United. They uh, they hoist the first trophy of the uh, the English season, two 0 They win over Newcastle at Wembley, and uh, and there you go. Props to them. Uh, should we continue to other things? Let's let's do some other things. I want to mention that MLS is back. In case you were unaware. <laughs> In case you uh, have not breached the paywall uh, and it was just off your radar this weekend, MLS has returned. Um, I guess just to go through some kind of initial impressions and thoughts, uh, as we're speaking right now, um, Seattle was up 3 0 when I last checked. I felt like, yeah, we're safe to probably, you know, I, I think Seattle are going to go on and, and do that. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's one, yeah, it's 4 0 now. And it's over. And it's over. Uh, so there's that. Jordan Morris scored a second. You're, that reminds me of uh, of of Stewie uh, when he's doing a 
he, he cuts, oh, that's, that's worse than a Mets season. And it's the opening day, and here's the first pitch, and the season's over. Hey, that was in a Wilpon era, okay? We're That's in the Cohen right. era now. We're in a new era. Yeah. Um, initial impressions on this. Look, uh, there's no dancing around it. I think the biggest thing on a lot of people's minds was just how is this all going to feel with this new broadcast system? Like, that's there's there's no escaping that reality that I think there's such – this hasn't really been done before in quite this form, and there's such a curiosity around it. Um, I mean, look, I thought it was mostly positive. Most of the the reviews that I've seen from it have been mostly positive. There's going to be some kinks here and there. Um, I know some people, there were certain elements of the 360 show that people thought like more focus on the, on the, the games themselves. Maybe we don't need to see the analysts quite as much, uh, just like keep the game video flowing. Um, that was one thing, but like for the most part, it seemed like it was, it seems like the people who have shelled out money for this thing. They're expecting a top-notch product, and again, it's only week one, yeah. uh, so it's not going to be, like you said, the finished article. It's not going to be that just yet, but I didn't see too much in the way of, oh my god, I can't believe I paid for this. This is garbage. This is, you know, what a hack broadcast. I didn't I didn't see any of that. No. If anything, there was the, the contrast between what they were pushing on, uh, on Apple versus the Fox broadcast of what did they they had NYCFC Nashville yeah um where it was our dear friend John Strong and Stu Holden with a curtain behind them that said DoorDash yeah what was uh, going on there exactly it it looked so amateur hour i can't even tell you it was like if i went round to your house and we're chilling we're having a few cans and somebody calls and says, guys, you have to do the broadcast of an MLS game now. And Amanda, your wife, comes running in. And she goes, guys, 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 oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The curtains. Hold the curtains. And then just <laughs> just emblazon DoorDash on the back of it. And then make a little desk and then talk. It looks so uh, basic and uh, an amateur. And, like, they couldn't be bothered. Like, oh, was... MLS is starting Get the curtains out. Whereas uh, Apple, the 360 studio was pow, pow, pow. And you've, you've, got, uh, you've got Liam McHugh. Look at him sat there in, in all his Irish glory with his glasses. Um, now, I will say about MLS 360, if, if I'm going to be fair and balanced, um, there is a ways to go in terms of how they do this. Like far too often, they'd cut to a game where something had happened. And they wouldn't have the live commentary ready to go. So you'd have Bradley Wright Phillips, uh, Sasha Kleschen, and um, Kaylin Kyle, was it? Just kind of, you know, guessing on the spot what was happening. Uh, I think that happened with the union's uh, penalty against the crew. So um, so it's not perfect either. Um, but you feel like there's going to be real effort put into this Apple product. And it's going to be... Like one of the things someone uh, kind of pointed out to me was just in terms of like the view. I've always thought FS1 and FS2, and I thought it was because of Spectrum, kind of look grainy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard that. Pixelated. It's so smooth and so clean and crisp when you watch it um, on Apple TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, As you would hope. Again, people are paying a lot of money for this, so... The product has to it, it has to live up to that standard, um, or people will you know people will make it known, maybe with their wallets potentially. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of standards, 
My predictions just looked so bad. Like, let's go through it. Well, look, so, it's it's week one, so don't know, be too hard on yourself. I know, and it's a it's a it's a. It's I a had league. people ripping me after a couple of weeks of the Premier League season for saying that Southampton would get relegated. Saying, "Oh, look, how's that? How's that relegation prediction now?" Well, looks pretty good at this point in the season. So you can't you can't. Don't worry, JJ. We'll do our jump to conclusions after the third week. I know, but just let me run through it. So I said I, I fancied New York City to be better than people thought. They'd be. They were not. That they lost to Nashville. That, that is. That is one opinion that I think I'll say after one week. I, I don't. I don't know what was going on there with that thought from you. No, it was. It was my faith in the in the behemoth in the in the evil empire of of City Football Group that they would churn out a, a good team again, a good product. But it it certainly from the opening week it doesn't look like that, and the fans would be in lockstep with me on that opinion. No, <laughs> that they're not very good. Um, Philadelphia thought they'd be bad again. W- again. <laughs> what like other than you trying no, to no, get no. in one on I take me. it back I take it back not bad less good and uh, they win 4-1 uh, let me see I had another absolute doozy um, real quick can we can we I, I there was one thing I wanted to bring up about the union um, and, and they won it 4-1 and they looked really good doing it um, but it's it's amazing um, to find like the you can already see the way managers will do all they can to ensure motivation moving forward for, for when when you've got a really good team. Like when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, you know, I had to hear all of like the, the different, you know, Mahomes and Kelsey paraded out there saying, you know, no one no one believed in us. No yeah. one thought we could do it. Stop. Like you've been the best team of a generation. Like yeah. we no we all knew you could do it. What are you talking about? Um but like they'll find the guy who didn't think they could or would yeah, the and one like, guy, but it only needs to be one writer. And that well, means everybody's writing us off. Well, guess what? Th- that was presented on a silver platter to the union. Uh, the athletic um, Paul Tenorio and, St- and Sam Stachel, they did that thing that, that I love every year that I genuinely look forward to when they get 20 anonymous league executives from around MLS and they ask them a series of questions and they publish it. And it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just an interesting glimpse to see of, okay, how do my, like, I'm just, I'm just Joe fan. Like, how do my thoughts actually align with real league executives? Like, I just, I just enjoy listening to what they have to say every year. And so Jim Curtin, he managed to find the one. I'm not (laughs) sure if this was you in disguise, that, that you somehow wormed your way into this league executive poll, or if it's Jim Curtin himself in disguise who was trying to make sure he could find motivation. But there was one guy who was asked um, when the union were asked about their, who their pick was in the Eastern conference. Somebody said about the union, the th- this is a quote in the, in the anonymous executive survey quote. The thing is they're not even that effing good. It kind of hurts me to pick them. All they do is kick the S out of you. And so Jim Curtin grabbed a hold of that referenced it in the post game press conference. And you now know that that, that will be on every bulletin board in that dressing room for the remainder of the season. Every player will have those words echoing throughout their head. The thing is, they're not even 100%. that effing good. That will be their mantra throughout the rest of the season. You can already see it. Uh, after game one, Jim Curtin was already referencing that comment from that anonymous league executive. Uh, so that's that will be what the Philadelphia Union grab onto this year. By the way, when I read that, even before I heard Curtin speak and I read the article and I saw someone say that, I said, that was kind of my thought too. I was like, what is he talking about? Like, there's a guy who's running a team who thinks this, but yeah, evidently there is. Or like Crazy. I said, it was you or Jim Curtin himself. 
But don't don't forget that many people occupy the higher echelons of clubs and know nothing. Nothing. They have well, they have to know something. Nah. They're running a team. No, nah. some people are really clueless. Like me. <laughs> but the fact that someone has watched them play and said they're not even that effing good. Yeah, like, that's that's <laughs> nonsense. What does totally. that be? Go on. Explain yourself. Like I, I want that guy unveiled and I want more. I need to know what he means by that. Totally. Um but what what were some of your other initial thoughts that uh, exploded in a ball of fire this weekend? Oh, geez. Um, so because we held ourselves hostage to the 10 big questions, uh, one of the questions was a signing, a big signing that you're not sure it will work out. <laughs> and I was like, Mateus Click, yeah. DC United. He couldn't wait to score. Wins, 3-2 win over Toronto, who we expect to be good, scores on his debut. Just, I mean. Yeah. Well, that one and didn't look good for me either because Rooney was my manager on the hot seat and Toronto FC was my team that I think will will take a big step forward. Look, it's like you said, though. It's it's week one in a league where what do you even know after week one? Nothing. So let's just let's give ourselves a break. Yeah, I, I agree. It's silly. This is I mean, this is truly an act of silliness to go through this stuff. Um, but a couple other things that stood out. Boy, what a I mean. In terms of just like showpiece events for the league to start the season, not so bad to have two venues with over 65,000 in the opening weekend in uh, Charlotte and Atlanta, both having that. And by the way, that's with a game being called off at the Rose Bowl that was going to have over 75 between LA Galaxy and LAFC, which that I mean, that decision was, boy, that just kind of snuck up on a uh, on a Friday. Wow. Like what (laughs) a game that's been like being touted for months now yeah. and promoted for months now, just like on the, basically on the eve of the season. Oh, by the way, not going to happen. Um, Anyway, continuing on now, like, <laughs> whoa. I mean, the weather How bad was, was the th- weather in LA. It must I, be I horrible. Mean, apparently it was terrible. And as our friend Max Bredos pointed out, like just the, 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 the entrance, the means of getting to the Rose bowl. It's gotta be, it cannot have weather like that or else it makes it absolutely deadly. So they took the, I guess, the the prudent decision to call it off. But my God, like, I mean, that game, it's been punted to when? July 6th, I think? Oh, I don't know. I hadn't yeah, seen I the, think so. the make update yet. So that'll be awesome in the summer. Oh, of course. Whenever they decide to do it, it'll be great. Yeah. But it just would have been a really cool way to kick off the season, uh, to have those the defending champion facing their biggest rival in that kind of venue. It would have been really cool. But as it was, like I said, there were some, I mean, some of the scenes from over the course of the weekend were great. Uh, and then some of the thrilling finishes that we got this past weekend were were great as well. How about what happened in Atlanta? Holy crap. Uh, Diego Almeida scoring twice in stoppage time. The World Cup winner, Diego Almeida. Yeah. Um, I mean, this probably a guy who we who we sadly overlooked when we were going through some of our MVP candidates uh, this season, guys who we should be keeping an eye on. He was last year's newcomer of the year in MLS. And I mean, if week one is anything to, to kind of take a look at and think about what this guy could be over the course of the season coming off of the world cup that he had just like, wow, what an unbelievable thing. But it, it it's such a contrast. So like Jeremy Obobese's goal was the, in the 12th minute. Mm-hmm. And Almeida's uh, equalizer and winner, 90 plus three, 90 plus nine. Like, it's, that, is, that is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Some World Cup stoppage time there, too. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the, the vibes of Qatar have, have, have found their way into MLS in terms of, of the overtime. But, yeah, uh, 
I mean, such an exciting way to start the season. And uh, and something, you know what? Atlanta United needed to get off to a good start, to a hot start. And that's an important win. Well, yeah, they, they really do. Because I think just like all of the mess, like Joseph Martinez is, is the face of the, uh, albeit in a short existence, but he's the face of it. You know, uh, you could say Almiron too, but Martinez, his time there was longer, scored more goals. Um, and, and so for all the messiness of last season to kind of have your, like that guy dragged through the mud in that way. And like the talk of like post-game blowups and get not getting along with the coach, like they needed a, a clean break and a fresh start to a new era. And so to start it like that with the new face of the team scoring two goals, both in stoppage time, um, I think it was the first time, who was it? I saw since, uh, was it Albert Rusnak uh, in 2018 where a player scored an equalizer and a winner, both in stoppage time, just pretty amazing stuff. And then the other one we have to give a shout out to St. Louis city. What a start to that franchise. Unbelievable. Yeah. Going to Austin and uh, scoring first, but then going down two one and then getting a goal, two goals fairly late on to tie it two two, and then to go on and win it three, two, an incredible start for them as well. Amazing. Yeah, Amazing. Amazing. A late, late win. Uh, 86 minute winner like now one of the interesting sat out of this game for me was like the shots on target austin had two shots on target at home mm-hmm. this is a team who are absolutely laden with talent and uh and st louis had nine shots on target that's amazing um talk about just hitting the ground running now do Again, early. It's very, very early. I'm not making any big extrapolations from this, but maybe, maybe St. Louis will be better than we uh, than we expected. Yeah, we'll see. They'll open the season at home. Their uh, their home debut on March 4th against Charlotte. Uh, so yeah, thrilling, thrilling stuff there. It was. I mean, overall, I would say pretty good, pretty good opening weekend uh, for the league. Obviously, with the one exception, like I said, being. Um, that the, the real marquee event of the uh, El Trafico being postponed that that hurt a little bit. Finally, one other thing I wanted to say about this to kind of circle back to where we started with the uh, the TV stuff. You know, one thing that I feel like in the build up to this, maybe not across the board, but maybe on this show that we downplayed that I don't think I gave enough credit to. Now watching it actually play out in real time okay. this past weekend, that I think is is actually huge for this league. I think the fact now that we know when these games are, are starting, like when these games are being played, and I know that that sounds kind of dumb and silly. Like, what What do you mean? Like, Not there's really. a schedule. You could look at it. But, like, you would go – like, a casual MLS fan in the past would go into a weekend, and it was just pure scattershot as to when their team was going to be playing. What time, which day. Like, you just – week to week, you just simply did not know. I think the fact now that, like, for the most part, Saturday night, uh, 7.30 or whatever. I don't know what exact time the kickoffs are going to be because you know how networks in this country like to lie to us for that. Yes. Uh, it's the only <laughs> sport where that's the case. But I think just the fact now that like like the NFL, you go into an NFL weekend and it's like, okay, we're playing Sunday at 1. Like you just know it every week. Uh, you know, some weeks you'll have the 4 o'clock. But like, like the, the time slots of games being played is consistent. It's every week. You know when it is. You can build it into your schedule. There's no surprises. You know, I, I think the fact that like you're going to have that consistency now, I think that helps. I think that helps more than we actually realize. Just consistency. Like this league so desperately needs that. And, you know, the fact that they're getting it in terms of game times 
And whether we like it or not, the fact that we're getting it in terms of networks, because there's a lot of teams around the country, like here in New York, okay, NYCFC, they played on the S network. Like you you knew that, that was consistent. But there's a lot of teams around the country where it was, again, it was kind of scattershot in terms of what their regional broadcast was going to be and were they going to be on TV or just radio or just on the website. Like, I think now, like, it's all in one place. You know the times. I do think that stuff will help. I think so too. Absolutely. Um, So there you go. That's... uh, that is MLS is back opening weekend in a, in, I don't know what kind of, maybe cause it's of the Apple stuff, but it sort of felt like a new sort of a new era for the league um, and a good start, a good start to it. Uh, JJ, a couple of Premier League notes that we should mention on this pod, Tottenham Chelsea in a London Derby earlier today. Um, boy, I'm going to have to talk, talk S on Tottenham a little more often, I think. Uh, cause I feel like there, there's been a little bit of an upturn since I kind of just talked about their whole season being meh, if they could go on and win, what was it? The Mefe cup, the Mefe cup. That is a big win for Tottenham today, Andrew. Yeah. For a, a, a variety of reasons. One it's Chelsea. Uh, they never really play all that well against Chelsea. That's just like historically a team that they just, they're just not good against. Um, so there, you know, there's certainly that part of it. There's obviously the part of it in terms of what they want to do ambition-wise this season, top four, uh, a hugely important win for that. And I think just the fact, too, that like they're kind of proving to themselves right now that, okay, even with the injuries that they were dealt, some of their issues in the midfield with that Benton core being out, um, that they'll, they're okay. They're, their manager not being there, Antonio Conte uh, being out. Um, I think they're they're kind of learning that, like, okay, wait a minute, like, we're actually we're still a good team. Everyone, calm down. Hugo Lloris, our captain's not here, but Fraser Forster, he's been fine so far. Um, so you know, I think uh, Oliver Skip has come in, scored a great goal uh, to get the scoring started for Tottenham in this one. Son again coming off the bench, um, played in the corner kick that was then flicked on from Dyer to Kane for the one that put it away for Tottenham. So Son once again making an impact off the bench for Spurs. So guys maybe settling into certain roles. Um, defensively, they've looked good, really good over their past couple games uh, against West Ham and Chelsea. So, you know, whatever, for whatever negativity there was swirling around this club, this, this league, it's, it's so stupid to like make big proclamations. Cause this stuff is just so week to week in terms of how you feel about certain teams and Tottenham right now are one of those teams. Yeah. And so far in terms of injury, in terms of form, Tottenham have absorbed the blows and are still in the hunt for that Champions League spot, that is, that's no joke. On the flip side, you've got Chelsea. I mean, so Graham Potter, his press conference on Friday ahead of the game, he walks in, he says to the press, just come out of a crisis meeting. And the press, obviously, you know when a manager makes a joke or a coach makes a joke in a press conference? Journalists love it. (laughs) Now at this point, you got to think they're getting into crisis zone, whether whether he likes it or not. Yeah, um, it was again like it's not that they're bad. Like watching them today, like it's they're not terrible. It's not it's not an embarrassment, but something's just off. Like I don't I don't know. There's got to be smarter minds than me that can like do a better job of explaining what exactly that is. But it's just something is just off with them. Like if if it's defensive structure at certain points if it's cohesiveness i I think really it's honestly i think what i'm looking for is ruthlessness like they just don't have that and i think 
I, how how long are we going to are we going to go with Kai Havertz as being the guy up front? Like, I'm sorry. Like when well, we when we I, talk about expensive busts in this league, like we have to start talking about him as long as he's there. Like, yeah, you know, I know they won a Champions League um, that that he scored in, and so like maybe that goes a long way in terms of how he'll be remembered or how he's thought of. But like he's he ain't it, and so. You no, know, that cutting edge, whatever they need at that, at the tip of the spear for that attack. Like, I don't know. They're just, they're not like, I guess the way I, what I'm trying to say is sort of like, as an Eagles fan, the way I always felt all those years going up against Eli Manning and the Giants. Like, I know Eli won a couple Super Bowls, but as an Eagles fan, I never feared him. Like, I never went into a Giants game being like, oh, we like, okay, we got a shot today, but boy, we got to, we got to keep him in check. I just wasn't afraid yeah. of him. And like as a Tottenham fan going into this game against Chelsea, looking at like some of the guys out there, like, yeah, there's certain guys that they have that I fear right now. But like when I see his name up top, it's like he's not it. I just I'm just not afraid of him. Um, And so for all this money that Chelsea have spent to try to like fix this team, like that's a spot where I'm just like, is this like it's time for a change? Like he's it's not working there. But that but the change might be coming. It might be um, it might be in Kunku who we believe they've signed anywhere of a, some kind of a pre-contract agreement. So I know he's more of a second striker, but maybe he comes in and changes things. All I know is like, it can't limp on like this. At some point, Potter has to put a run of results together this season, not next now. And um, I just don't know when it's coming. Uh, no, you're right. And and you keep, because it's Chelsea and because of the player, like, I don't know. You look at that 11 and you're like, why is, why is this the way that it is? You know? And so at a certain point, I guess you do have to turn and start asking questions about the manager. Um, because if there is, if there's, if it's unanimous, like we agree that there's a lot of talent on that team and they're back, like they're healthy. Now, Reese James, Ben Chilwell, like these guys are back, they're playing. Um, but it just, something about it just doesn't, I don't know. They're just not, they're not that threatening. No. Uh, right now uh, I, I will say you referenced the the Graham Potter press conference from last week you know he talked a lot openly about sort of like his his mental state during this and how it's been really this has been really difficult for him um, and like I don't know you can't like these guys are it's it's a glamorous job they're paid handsomely to do it it's soccer so it feels like it's cool uh, you know so you know it's easy to go right to that place of what are you complaining about? Like, how's your life so bad? You know, yeah. I don't, like, but, but you know what? I kind of heard him say that. And I felt, I, I can't help it. I felt for the guy. I was like, yeah, I, I could see this being a challenging moment in someone's life. Like you've, you've been building towards this professionally. The opportunity has come to you now and it's just gone so horribly wrong. And I'm sure he's hearing about it everywhere he goes, every channel he turns on every website he goes to whatever like people in his life his family members are probably saying you did you hear what they saying what they're saying about you on this channel or whatever you know it's just i'm sure it's all consuming um and i could see that just kind of burying a person uh, uh so I, I felt for him yeah no i i do feel for him too because i think he's an excellent manager there's no question but um it wins all season for chelsea it's, i know just... Well, so what are you what are you driving at? Like, are is there if you look at like upcoming Chelsea fixtures, is there a certain date or you know, if it hasn't been in some way fixed by 
such and such and such a time. Well, they have they have Leeds United at home on Saturday, and I know Leeds won at the weekend, but they were not that impressive. They still got it done against South, Southampton, but you know. I think that I think JJ that there's an international break coming up. Yes, in a few weeks. I think that we are in the danger zone right now for this guy because if you look at the month of March for Chelsea, so if it goes badly, then this is how it would have gone badly. Like they've got Leeds, then they've got Borussia Dortmund in the second leg of the Champions League. It's at home. They're only a goal behind. If they get knocked out of that too, then they've got Leicester who aren't anything special this year. And then they've got Everton. Everton. who are obviously relegation candidates. So if we get to that international break and it hasn't been fixed, and that's the run of games where it hasn't been fixed in, I mean, I think that's I think that's it. I think yeah. that he's got – I don't think anyone's going to say it, but I feel like right now he's kind of got four games to fix this. Yeah. I mean, this is really going to test the patience of the new Chelsea that some of us talked about where, where you know, the – the chairman, the ownership was actually going to look at the long term and not just be a win no scenario. But with the contracts they've they've tied themselves up in, the money that's been invested in the club, maybe this is more win no than it's ever been. The question is, boy, to fire him so quickly. Um, it's one thing to be paying a lot of money for players to come in. You're going to be paying a lot of man, a lot of money for a manager to leave. Do they want to do? Do they have the stomach for that? I Does mean, this ownership group have that kind of? I mean, the way they're throwing the moolah around, this will be incidental compared to what they've they've uh, invested in, anyways. So uh, I don't know. But then the other question too, like we talked about with some of these other teams, Leeds, uh, West Ham, like okay, fire your manager, but who's who's coming in? Who's your replacement? Is there not like for a club like Chelsea? Is there an obvious replacement out there? I mean, I mean, that's the argument for him getting to the end of the season mm-hmm. and then them reevaluating in the summer. Uh, if, if if they're prepared to just call it a loss, and at, at this point, both Liverpool and Chelsea are probably going to say Champions League's not happening. Yeah, oh, I mean, I think Chelsea have to be at that point, right? Sure. Like, this is... <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that ship has probably sailed on the season that they've had. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of a weird thing to watch them right now. Um, so, yeah. But in the end, for whatever weirdness there was around Tottenham season, two games against Chelsea, they take four points. So um, in, in a, a very important win uh, for Spurs and another damaging loss for uh, for Chelsea earlier today. You got uh, anything else on the Premier League this weekend? Obviously, the top of the table remains status quo with both teams winning. No, I, I, I thought um, Arsenal Arsenal's win was, was needed. Um, uh, West Ham. In particular, their 4-0 win over Nottingham Forest. I mean, if reports were to be believed, if Moyes didn't win that, he was gone. And he won it in emphatic fashion with signing Danny Ings uh, scoring, which was very, very important for them too. City beat Bournemouth, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Crystal Palace and Liverpool. I I don't have the patience Mm. to talk about a game that bored the life out of me. That was a rough one. Yeah, Yeah, it was a rough one. If Uh, they, like, they... I don't know. It didn't do anything to help what happened midweek, I guess. No, it did nothing. There was it was not a cooling bam right. on the fires of getting hammered by Real Madrid. This was just like two mid-table teams just kind of poking at each other. I mean, Gakpo, that chance was huge. It was Liverpool's one really big chance in the second half and he should have scooped it over the keeper, but he didn't. 
Um, but whatever. But, but I wanted to talk about um, Everton being beaten at home by Aston Villa. Like, um, so we we heard afterwards from Sean Dice, you know, about talking about process, uh, you know, the things they need to do, kind of very much, uh, you know, not talking like a manager that's won six from nine, uh, six points out of nine, uh, the previous nine anyway, obviously uh, nothing from the weekend, but kind of talking about process and and trying to reconnect the club with the supporters and all that kind of stuff. Um, But so there's two things out of this game. Emmy uh, Bundia's goal for Villa is my goal of the season so far. Okay. In its brilliant simplicity and execution. That little turn, Andrew, where he's got it on his right and he looks like he's going to pass inside and it's a quick close of the hips, just a quick little swivel and the feint and he takes it on his left and rattles it past Pickford. That is... I mean, if you're a real football fan, if you know your onions, you're like, ah, that's it. That's it right there. Absolutely beautiful goal. Goal of the season, though. Yeah, man. No, I love it. Right (sighs) foot, left foot, bang. Oh, (sighs) yes, please. I know what you're saying. Because you want someone to beat 10 players and then lash it into the top corner. But football, it's much more subtle than you, Andrew. You're like a, a, a hammer. Whereas football is like, the gentle song. No, no, it's it's not though. It's not. it's not. You can try to you can try to write whatever poem you want about this goal and try to make it something that it isn't. Look, uh, sure, r- really nice goal, but like this was your. Uh, I I don't know. I don't have one off the top of my head. So I, okay, you win. Like I don't know what to say, but it's just not like that's not that's not going to be what it is at the end of the year. It's Andrew, just not. It, Andrew, but I'm going to hold you to it. When we do our devunlings, I'm not going to let you forget. I'm not forgetting this moment, and you're going to be made to look foolish. Andrew, the little closed hip drag, beautiful. I want you to think for the rest of this weekend, for the going into next week, about closing your hips to fake out a defense. Absolutely amazing. But the the one thing I, I it really really got up my nose. And I've been fair, very fair with Everton supporters. Oh, I, here we I, go. Gen- I genuinely think what they've been going through with their club, I, I, I totally respect it. The ownership, the worry about relegation, the worry about money, the worry about where this club is going. Oh, listen, stand up for your club, protest. But the banner that they used at the weekend just absolutely, it killed me. Uh, this is from the Liverpool Echo. For the third consecutive home game, Everton fans staged a pre-match protest from outside the Royal Oak to the director's entrance at Goodison Park. But this time, organised asked for our next generation to lead their rally march. Unhappy with the way the club has been run by the owner and board of directors, the disgruntled supporters signed off their message with the words, If you tolerate this, then your children will be next. A line from Welsh rock band Manic Street Preachers, 1998 number one hit, If you tolerate this, your children will be next. Andrew, that's a song about the Spanish Civil War. And the song takes its name from a, a Republican propaganda poster, which was written in English. And I think a lot, some of it was uh, parachuted or just dropped by planes. Um, and it's a photograph of a child that's been killed by the fascists. Um, and it's under a sky filled with bomber aircraft. And it says, if you tolerate this, your children will be next. Now, 
what are you doing? Sending actual children out in the year of 2023 with that banner for your football club. Yeah. That is, are you telling me that what Bill Kenwright and Farad Mashiri and the ownership of Everton have done is in any way or should be even remotely linked to Spanish fascists in the Spanish Civil War? Are you kidding me? Now, as Michael Kelly said, I love that people love their football clubs, but I also think they should love football a little less. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> I mean that. Like, who signed off on that? There's no way any adult... Like, and again, the adults, I'm thinking people in their 40s. I remember that song. Uh, so, if you tolerate this, your children will be next by Manic Street Preachers. Unbelievable song. Went to number when, n- number one, but was... When it came out, it was all about the Spanish Civil War. Like the lyrics, like no adult should look at that and think, yeah, that works. Yeah. Like the, the, the links that, no, don't do this, you absolute morons. No, someone, someone needed to be there to, to say, guys, are we sure? <laughs> like the fact that no one, no one did that. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it was people who just weren't familiar enough with the song. Um, and what it actually stands for and means. Exactly. I, I, they just thought of the line. They thought of the Manic Street Preachers and they thought, let's go with that. Yeah. It makes sense. Future generations are going to be ripped off if we don't take action now. Sorry, that is not even close to the gravity of what that line addresses. Do yeah. not put it on a banner about Bill Kenwright. Okay. Michael Kelly says, he says it very, he says it perfectly there. Like, look, we're, we are we try hard to not be a show that tells people that you know that it it's only sports cuz like i know how seriously not, we take it yeah. like it's not just sports we've talked about before the meaning that sports has in life like you know so so i sympathize with people who take this stuff a little too seriously but guys yeah like, there <laughs> there's a there's a line there's a line um, yeah and i they completely crossed it and uh, to some of the guys in Toffee TV, I think, were involved as well. And, and you would urge them just to, to come back from that. Bill Kenwright is many, many things. One of, things, one of those things, he's a very successful um, theater uh, promoter and director. He's not a fascist. He's not a Nazi. Come, just come on. Good Lord. Yeah. yeah. Good Lord is right. And I mean, here's the, like, I am conflicted about, about dragging them on this. In, in some ways, because, like, do fight for your club. Do want a better future for your club. So it's there for your kids. Definitely. But words matter. Like, history matters. Phrases matter. Don't use that one. Don't appropriate that one. Yeah. It's completely wrong. Anything else in the Premier League? No, nah, I'm done. Yeah. Absolutely um, done. Just a, a couple notes to close on, JJ, uh, in league. Uh, um it feels like this was a crowning weekend for PSG. I know they've kind of had some like ups and downs. They're trying to talk their fans off the ledge a couple weeks ago, like Neymar and Mbappe, what's going on there? Champions League stuff, but um they they beat Marseille 3-0. Yeah. They move 8 points clear of Marseille now. Mbappe scores two, Messi scores the other. It almost feels unfair that they're on the same team. Sometimes I have to like stop and remind myself of that, that it's just like, it, it's crazy. Uh, this was Messi's 700th club goal. That's a, that's a big round number. 700. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah. Um, so again, it's not, not 
quite done and dusted, but certainly feels that way. Um, so PSG uh, with an important win over the weekend uh, in Lee in La Liga um, in the Madrid Derby one, one, but Barcelona unable to take advantage of that as they lose one nil to uh, Almeria uh, in what Xavi called Barcelona's worst performance of the season. That comes on the heels of Barcelona, obviously having been knocked out of the Europa League against Manchester United. Bad week. Oof. Really rough week for uh, for Barcelona. Their their lead still feels safe to me atop seven points. Yeah. yeah, still feels like it's a safe lead, um, especially now that they're out of Europe altogether. Like there's not a ton else for them to really be focused on other than just nursing that lead and making sure that it you know that it remains over Real Madrid. While Real Madrid are obviously going to have their heads turned towards Europe as they always do. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you're looking at some possible like. Were Barca overachieving? Is there a wobble here that could turn into something bigger? Well, maybe you have your radar up a little bit right now in the coming weeks to see where things go from here. But I, I would still be, I would still be truly stunned to see that lead um, atop the table dissipate that much more than than where it's at right now. Uh, and then a quick look at the Bundesliga, JJ. This was this was one of those big weekends in that league, uh, and an important and emphatic three 0 win for Bayern Munich over Union Berlin. Um, Borussia Dortmund also winning 1-0 over Hoffenheim. So Union Berlin dropped three points back, and it's now Bayern and Borussia Dortmund atop the table there. Um, RB Leipzig winning over Eintracht Frankfurt as well, and that was a a big game too. So RB Leipzig, it should be mentioned, still kind of in with a shout in what is probably, I think if you look across all of Europe right now, the Bundesliga is the one that is carrying the mantle for the most competitive title race, unquestionably. You definitely, you definitely want Dortmund now to push uh, Bayern as, as hard as they can, and and Union as well to stay in the hunt too, to to really make this. Uh, you don't want Bayern winning again, is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so and I know we have Bayern Bayern supporters who listen to this show. They're not probably not going to love that, but uh, ah, they'd be fine. You got anything else? No, nah, man, that is it for a Sunday night. I think. Wow, well, there you go. There you go. What a weekend. God, this was a big weekend in the sport. MLS back trophy awarded in England to Manchester United. Uh, whew, big stuff. Graham Potter, more pressure being piled on him. So we'll see where things progress from here. It's an FA Cup midweek. So uh, we'll have our eyes on that. And we'll be back with another edition of Caught Offside later in the week. What do you say? You made no comment about my new T-shirt. <laughs> I don't know what's to be said. First of all, it's not a visual medium. We're not on YouTube tonight. So like me not mentioning it until this moment, no one gave a damn. Hey, JJ, that's a neat shirt. It's a skull and crossbones. I don't know what to do with it. With St. Pauli written underneath it. I, that's out of my view for what I can see on you. Now you can see it. Well, now you're holding it up. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, you're so excited about it. You couldn't wait to mention it. Tell us. I was... um. I just had one of those moments on Friday where I was uh, reminded how we did some work for a Copa 90 uh, pre-pandemic. And um, one of their videos where they went inside Hamburg's rivalry um, between the two big clubs and, and the lesser of the, not the lesser, but the smaller of the clubs and the uh, the ups and the downs of St. Pauli and just how they're a great, like, kind of anti-fascist, uh, liberal, look after each other, put you know, fan-owned entity. And I thought, man, I watched it. And I was like, 
to be a supporter of a club like that must be absolutely amazing. And the algorithm went to work. <laughs> oh, it did. The next thing, a St. Pauli t-shirt popped up on my phone and went, boom. I can. It was cheap as chips. So I got it. It arrived the other day. So. Well, there, there you, you go. Yeah. Oh, that was really important that we know that. Thank God. Andrew, this is just a medium for my in in you know um for what's going on inside my brain to spill out into audio. That's all this is. It's nothing more than that. Well, hey, it's worked. It, it's working for you and for this podcast. So keep it up. You know what? I I need more insight on your shirts. Actually, all right, we'll we'll do a shirt today then, and I'll talk about every shirt. Oh, nice. It's a good idea. I think that's a good feature. We're gonna get it sponsored. Yeah. Um, well, at any rate, this was fun. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Like I said, we'll be back later in the week with more Caught Offside. JJ, enjoy your week, my friend. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 